I gotta call my husband real quick. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Dear listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and I am joined, as always, by the ebullient... <laughs> Wendy! <laughs> How did you like that one, Wendy? I like ebullient, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like bullion, only better. <laughs> it's like bullion, only bubbly? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so, you know, it's flavorful, but effervescent. Yes. Mm. So, and hey, I understand mm-hmm. we have a special guest cons- uh, collaborator on this episode. Oh, yes, we do. And his name is Fessworks. I'm Fess. <laughs> the boisterous Fess. Yes. The obstreperous Fess. Returning after many, many moons to our podcast. <laughs> well, I would... I would say he's more of a podcast lurker, and he stepped out of the shadows briefly. Twice. I like, I mean, I really like that image. Like, just because he's so furry, like he's just like, <laughs> around on the fringes, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, he steps out, hello, I'd like to discuss this cogent argument. Um, yeah. Hi, I didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> Neither did I, so. Yeah, no, you- I wouldn't use the word cogent. I, I like cogent. I don't know what it means. Oh. <laughs> Aw. I am going to admit that right now I'm drinking whiskey. All right, then. You know I, what? I, I watered it and uh-huh. I iced it. And it is, of course, my favorite drinkable brand, Two, Two Gingers. gingers. And, uh, and so it means my tongue is already getting a little stupid. So I apologize. Okay. All right. I'm not tipsy, but my tongue is. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> what Fess. are you two... Fess, what are you drinking? I'm drinking, quote, genuine apple pie. Like you just liquefied an apple pie and drank it? Well, I mean, when you before you shake it up, it kind of looks like that. Is it a fruit smoothie? It's uh, it's supposed to be like an apple pie moonshine, but not quite moonshiny. It, it's boozy apples. It's a boozy apple pie sort of thing. It's from this place that's proud of. Their label is amazing. Um, and simple. And they got it from clearance from a going out of business uh, liquor store. Oh, that place. That's where we got that. Yep. Does How it lo- have a cinnamony quality? Because good apple yeah. pie should have some cinnamon notes. Well, yes. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Well, it, it has actual just cinnamon in it. That's why you got to shake it. Oh. Are mm. you sure it's just not random sediment from... <laughs> I'm pretty sure it Having looks it- like maybe this, like the plate, like the, the pie tin, what's left over in the pie tin was scraped all together and then put into the alcohol. That's what I think. I'm pretty sure that bottle has been in our refrigerator for over two years. Uh, no, I, this would be the third refrigerator that it's been in, technically. Ew. <laughs> the old house, the new house, and then the new fridge at the new house. That's true. That's true. 
Okay. Well, it had thank only- you. Thank you, Fess. You have earned today's special award ribbon for pedantry um, as awarded by Eric. <laughs> the, the Eric Knight Memorial Pedantry yes. Award. Yes. <laughs> it still tastes really good like apple pie. Like it does taste like alcoholic apple pie. <laughs> I'm keeping the hospital in speed dial. Anyway, um, I, I actually grabbed the beer out of my fridge. So for the, you know, I've been dry for the longest time. I actually had a couple of cocktails last week because I was out with Allie and I wound up at Travail. And yes, I'm going to have a cocktail at Travail. But um, tonight I got out one of the few remaining bottles I have of New Glarus Brewing's Staghorn Oktoberfest beer. It oh, is wow. the middle of February and I am still drinking Oktoberfest. I count this as a win. Good job. Like it's a special occasion that you, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. you're drinking one of those. Mm. Mm, they're so good. Mm. They're so good. Mm. All right. Our topic tonight. What? What are we going to talk about, Melissa? We are going to talk about the two big magic movies that came out in the year 2006. Magic! Magic! <laughs> Italian illusion! <laughs> so the prestige and the illusionist. And we're just going to ignore Scoop. <laughs> Scoop, the Woody Allen film, it has a magician in it. We'll just say that and done. Okay. The other two are the ones we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the two big ones that everybody was talking about. Right. Those are the ones we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um. And right. I have those on DVD downstairs for my brother's collection. And Melissa was like, yeah, I need to watch The Prestige and The Illusionist. Is like, I think I have those on DVD downstairs. Yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have them in my collection, but Fest did, which is really a... That's unusual. Yeah, that's an interesting change of events there. So, yes. Well, and I had just picked up, I've had The Prestige since it came out. And I finally picked up The Illusionist at a Half Price Books like right after the holidays because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I need to own that. I remember liking it. So yeah, I already had them, which was nice. Uh, which one came out first? Oh, Do we I remember? Can't, I can't remember. I think. Okay. Hold on. I've got both pages up. Oh, okay. The Illusionist did. It came out on September 1st and The Prestige came out on October 20th. Holy cats, that timing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, which one was in production first though? And which was the Me Too? I don't, well, I don't know. And the thing you have to remember that I am always reminded of is there is no me too in a lot of these scenarios. It is simply synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Like Synch- Armageddon and Deep Impact. And um, oh, what were the two like volcano ones in LA? Do you remember? Oh. There was Dante's Peak. Volcano. In volcano. And volcano, right? That it isn't so much that the studio is like, ooh, we're going to make one too, as much as people get an idea more than one person gets an idea because something happened in the world that gave them that idea mm-hmm. and that i and that thing that happened happened to more than one person right well it's it's just like um swamp thing and man thing both plant monsters of the comics world the two guys who came up with those two characters lived in the same apartment and didn't know what each other was working on <laughs> And they've just both wound up coming up with plant monsters that would shamble around in... Something must have happened in that apartment that they both witnessed. Yeah, they they must have had... I think they were imbibing plants, I'm just saying. Or there may have been a very influential ficus tree. 
<laughs> but there was something in the basement. Ah. <laughs> right, so let's get to talking about these two movies. Yes. Um, I am glad that I revisited them in a, specifically to like compare and contrast. I have always preferred the prestige. I think I might be starting to drift more over to The Illusionist. Interesting. See, this is the first time I've ever seen The Illusionist. Oh, I had I had seen it before. Yeah, I I had not seen The Illusionist before. I've I had seen The Prestige when it came out in theaters, but I don't think I've seen it since. So it was fun revisiting The Prestige after all this time after damn near 10 years. Uh yeah, very close to 10 years and then uh seeing The Illusionist fresh. Uh, yeah, very interesting to compare the two. We watched The Illusionist first. Yes. And then The Prestige. Mm-hmm. So that oh. that might color how we talk about things. Cause... Yeah, actually, I watched The Illusionist first and then The Prestige. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like Prestige is the heavier one. It's like yeah. more serious. Well, well it's... Uh, I don't even know if it's more... It's less fantastical and it's colder. Mm-hmm. It, yes, that is exactly it. The Prestige is more, I would say, realistic. Yeah. Uh, well, for the first two acts, let's say. <laughs> Fess has some issues with yeah. the Prestige. I'll, I'll I'm, sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it. <laughs> well, hold back for now. <laughs> uh, but I'm always up for Edward Norton. So, oh, yeah. The Illusionist. Well, The Prestige never, ever pretends that it's not all a trick. Right. Whereas The Illusionist, you you are deliberately left with sort of a... What's really happening? How is he doing that? Like, the illusionist waits until the end to acknowledge that they are tricks. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. The, literally the first scene of the prestige is, a good trick has three parts. Mm-hmm. So well, they're, well, prestige they're... literally tips its hand in the very first shot. Yes, with it, the hats. Yes. <laughs> okay, so before we delve too far, let's give a quick thumbnail summary of each movie yes. Yes. so any listeners like i'm quite sure most most of the people listening to our podcast <laughs> at this point are people like us and they've seen them but it might be good to just refresh their memory so uh the illusionist stars uh oh my favorite i i am starting to hear i am confronting the fact that he's an artiste with temperament problems but goddamn do i love edward norton ed norton's a great performer he's great and he's and he's pretty like mm-hmm. not in a cla- like not in a Hugh Jackman way, but there's something so compelling on screen. And when you fluff his hair up and give him a goatee and put him in a frock coat, oh yeah. Well, he's one of those actors who who can do just absolutely innocent and sweet, and goddamn, this guy is dangerous and can do the everything in between. He's yes. like a squirrel, because um, he's like a boy version of Hugh Jackman. Like what? his mm-hmm. demeanor, he looks like a boy. But then you co- get him in a in a in a corner, then he's a rabid squirrel, and he is <laughs> not backing down. You have crossed the line. It may your, take twenty years, but you will die. Your figurative language, Fess, your yes. your use of simile mm-hmm. is truly extraordinarily unique. <laughs> I love you, honey. I love you too. I love you too, Fess. I say this with all love. So um uh, also in this is Paul Giamatti mm-hmm. and Jessica Biel back when she was the hotness and Rufus Sewell. Yay! Yes, yes. So um, this is very much a story about class, overtly about class, mm-hmm. where um, Edward Norton 
is, a, I think, a carpenter's son, something like that. Yeah. And he, as a child, happens to make friends with uh, a duchess, Sophie. And they become very close. They plan on running away together. They get stopped. They get separated. And Edward Norton goes off. And um, he's already, while they were friends, he was already fascinated by magic. He goes off and learns about magic. And he comes back to Vienna. This is all set in Vienna. And... He starts making a splash with his illusions. And in the meantime, the prince, who is Rufus Sewell, crown prince Leopold, and he's a very bad man. And he wants to marry <laughs> Jessica Biel because he wants her to help him with his political ambitions. But he's been he likes to slap his women around, you know. And Paul Giamatti is the police officer who is kind of his unofficial enforcer. Mm-hmm. Who who's just so like politically, this the, this is the way it is. Like, no, it's not right, but you got to play ball. You don't really have much choice. And so the prince gets gets it into his head that Edward Norton's after his woman, and they they do they are kind of they fall in love, but then the prince is mad, and so then the prince kills Sophie, but Edward Norton brings her back from the dead, and we find <laughs> out that the prince killed Sophie, and and the police find out, and he arrests him, and and before he can arrest him, he shoots himself. This is all spoilers. Who cares? And the prince <laughs> shoots himself, and then Edward Norton walks off into the sunset, and then twist. Mm-hmm. And there's your thumbnail summary. It's kind of like Robin Hood, and what? Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Only the okay. prince. Is, the prince is yeah. kind of uh-huh. like the prince and uh, uh, the sheriff at the same time, and the actual sheriff is kind of like Friar Tuck a little bit. Yeah. Okay. That's a valid. That is valid. Okay. Okay. Um, the prestige is two young apprentices to an established. Magician, this is a lot harder to summarize because it's oh yeah, it's it's magicception. I mean, this is Christopher Nolan doing what he does with his puzzle box mu- movies, mm-hmm. and and also it is not told in a linear manner. No, it's within a journal, within a journal, within a flashback, within a flashback. It's pulp magician. So kind yeah, <laughs> so you've got Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, and during and Hugh Jackman is married to the magician's assistant during a trick mm-hmm. she dies Hugh Jackman blames Christian Bale they both become magicians on their own and they start uh he goes to get revenge on Christian Bale and hurts him Christian Bale comes in when he's got a show and hurts him and they they're stealing each other's tricks and stealing each other's their diaries and then stealing each other's woman and like what's really and the whole thing is that christian bale has this trick the transported man and he can't figure out how to do it or rather hugh jackman can't figure out how to do it christian bale's trick hugh jackman can't figure out how to do it and he's becomes obsessed with figuring out how he did it to the point that he travels to colorado to meet nikola tesla who builds him a machine that helps him do the trick. I'm not saying it transports him. I'm saying it helps him do the trick. Right. And then Christian Bale sees the trick. Is like, how the hell is he doing that? And when he goes to investigate, he gets framed for the murder of Hugh Jackman and eventually hangs. And then twist. Yes. <laughs> so in both cases, right at the end, there's twist. <laughs> Reveal. So, Yes. Now, which one did we want to talk about first more in depth? Illusionist, since we all saw it first. 
Oh. And so we can give the audience a yeah. sort of how we went through it and then what may color what we say about the next one. Okay. I think what I like about The Illusionist is it is so pretty. Oh, it's gorgeous. I really like the very tintype quality of the film. I really like the framing mm-hmm. of it. Um, I think that credit intro like sets it beautifully and of course the costumes we know who did them right i didn't see who did them um i can't say her first name najila dixon oh cool lord of the rings oh oh cool yeah it's our lord of the rings costumer i saw her name in the credits i'm like oh my god um and i do love the costumes like mm. the music yes i adore i I was sitting there watching the movie, and I'm like, "This, this is a Philip Glass score." Yeah, it's very and, or it's somebody doing a really good Philip Glass. And I looked up, is like, "Holy, how did they get Philip Glass to do?" No, this? it is. That was the yeah, I know I was it is. It, yeah, it is Philip Glass, and um, it's it's one of the better pieces of music I, I've heard from. I, I actually like Philip Glass in general, but this is like more accessible than his usual ultra trimmed down music and it's just lush and beautiful and it's interesting and neil i give neil berger well actually it's probably it may be the producer but i think it's i we should i'm going to give credit to neil berger who's the director he Mm -hmm. also directed limitless and divergent i give him credit for going in a non-traditional direction with the music because it would be so easy to go with very classical very baroque you know Mm -hmm. like especially given that the look is so nostalgic right with the way they filmed it and the film quality i really love that they did something different with the music i think that heightens it and in a way makes it more present like it's not just watching something that happened to people a long time ago it it makes it accessible well when you're looking for somebody to do really luminous orchestral scores there are a few people who do it better than philip glass it's still very modern in its tone right right there's one particular scene where the music was so startling to me and yet I found it to be like like it drew it drew me out and caught my attention as a really unexpected choice. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I'm like, that's fucking brilliant mm-hmm. when I've got my notes and when we get there. So let's see what I really I also enjoy that the opening is very ambiguous. It just because much like. The Prestige, it's got the same structure. It's got this bookend structure of we open with a scene and then we go back Mm -hmm. and fill in everything that led us to that scene. And so that opening, and so when you come back around at the end, you see the scene, but now that you have all the context, it plays completely different. And it opens with just Edward Norton sitting in a chair, alone on stage. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Huh? And then weird vapor happens people yell and paul giamatti comes running up on stage and arrests him and the crowd goes crazy and you're sitting there going okay is giamatti a good guy or a bad guy we don't really know and then after he arrests him he goes to the crown prince to report in and that's the structure that leads us into telling the story did we notice that the crown prince has a fuck ton of antlers Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what? Oh my god! <laughs> like, I, I, it was just like Jesus Christ. And I get what they were doing. Like, this is the mighty hunter. Look, he's so masculine, you know. But at the same time, like, dude, 
penis as much. What? <laughs> yeah, he is such an asshole. Oh, and how Hessian is that mustache? It's so <laughs> it's so hipster Hessian. Mm-hmm. And then with his little cigarette holder, just put a fucking trilby on his head and some skinny jeans, and you could smack him around it's, like Justin Bieber. It's not hipster. This is way before hipster. This is the source material. Yes, Fess, you're being a literalist. I'm I was being well, funny. Well, that's 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 what we have him on for. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. he's very sweet. <laughs> but the point is, it it's funny that now that that is where our fashion has gone, that you can't just look at it without it triggering different visual inputs now. Right. In the 10 years since they made the movie. Like, I feel like if they made this movie now, they'd be like, we can't put him in that mustache. Holy fuck, he looks like he came out of coffee bar. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually digging the fact that we live in times where handlebar mustaches are a thing again. I, I am too. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I, I dig it hard, actually. But my <laughs> point is, if I were the costume makeup designer on that movie and it was being made now, I'd be like, we need to make different choices so they don't look like hipsters in, <laughs> in period costume. Give them Van Dyke. Well, wait, that, that too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Again, Edward giant Norton. Giant sideburns. Oh, wait. Uh, Edward Norton in a Van Dyke, especially with dark hair. Dark hair looks so good on oof, Ed Norton. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm, yes. Also, did, did we notice who plays young Edward Norton? Oh, crud. No, I didn't. It was, was Aaron, it? it was Aaron Taylor Johnson. It was Kick-Ass. Oh, really? I or did not Quick catch Or Quicksilver from Days of Future Past, or the lead, rather bland, military guy in Godzilla. Oh, oh God, that's right. Yeah. I was trying to scrub that one from my head. but uh, Yeah, it's not his fault. It, the, no, the no, script, no, no. I mean, because I've seen him do other things where he's charming. So in that case, I'm like, this is the script and the director letting you down, Aaron. Mm-hmm. I hope you learned your lesson. He learned your lesson. Really, the star of that movie was Godzilla. Mm. Honestly, and the junk in his trunk. Yeah, yes, I'm. I'm very much for the Godzilla badonkadonk. So, anyway, <laughs> did we notice that they all had accents in this film? Oh yeah, subtle, but every one of them was doing a little bit of an accent, and I, I found myself sort of fascinated by that because, on the one hand. Let's not do the thing where everybody's British and that is our stand in for, oh, look, it's people in a different place. They all speak to each other in British accents because that's what people in foreign lands do. But on the other hand, if we were in among them in their Austrian society, we wouldn't notice the accents, would we? Yes, truth. And uh, were they doing the mid-Atlantic accent? No, they were doing, and Edward Norton most, most of all, and but Paul Giamatti as well, was doing a slight Germanic accent. Oh. Rufus Sewell, uh, Jessica Biel made the least attempt at it. I guess I just didn't notice it. It was like, I thought she was doing more of a French accent, because she's not from there. Well, they were all born, they were all raised there, though. But she's from a different... Court, no, she. She, no, no, she, and, she and Ed Norton grew up together. At least, yeah. Partly. No matter where her family or her duchy is, that's where she grew up. And I think she's from Hungary, mm-hmm. which is just across the border. So it it really does make very little difference. But you have to remember, at this time period, all of the royalty was really just one big family. Yes, because 
<laughs> they were very heavily related to each other. Yeah, literally. Thanks, thanks Queen Victoria. We. I had 20 kids and I married them all off to other people. <laughs> now that we're all related. Isn't it great? You can all marry your first cousins now. Woo! Creep Creepy. Well, it had to start it like that in the beginning. I mean, it just had to. The farther back you go, the less weird it is. <laughs> because there wasn't that many people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, back in the days where it was entirely possible to live your whole life without going five miles out of town, you probably are going to marry your cousin at oh, some well, point. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Hey, I know you. What I like... We have so much in common! It's interesting. <laughs> Both of these movies are specifically about a very small group of people. Yes. Um, this movie's about Eisenheim, that's Edward Norton, and Sophie, which is Jessica Biel, and their love story, The Prince Who's in the Way, and Jamadi, who's sort of an adjunct for people. Mm -hmm. Prestige is even smaller. It's really just about Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman with um, <laughs> Michael Caine. <laughs> Why, why are we laughing? Because it's not three people. <laughs> what? Because that's not three people. It's three actors. <laughs> oh. Spoiler. Spoiler. You're be oh. Oh, you caught me. That's good. That's good. Oh, you're clever. You're so clever. Oh, my goodness. That's five, actually. Because um, Hugh Jackman plays two roles in the film. Hugh Jackman, honestly, it'd be a hundred. Mm-hmm. Point! You got me there, too! Ha-ha! <laughs> Touché! <laughs> what? Why am I making that noise? Oh, we know. But, so, but I love... Both of them are ultimately about very small, mm -hmm. small stories. On the one hand, I feel like the illusion is a smaller story because it's a story of of love it feels more intimate well, yeah, but, and it's, it's, a, it's a relatable story. It's like, hey, we fall in love and, you know... Um, somebody's in the way and somebody's in the way, the way and and extraordinary measures are taken that's something a little bit more relatable than what happens in the prestige <laughs> yeah but here's the interesting thing is like so here's this story that feels more intimate and yet the illusionist brings up more cultural and societal and class based and political layers than the prestige right right hmm. and the prestige is actually the smaller film because it really is just these two people eating each other alive. Well, it's well, yeah, it's it's circles of revenge plus a a slight sci-fi angle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, on the one hand, it feels like the illusionist is smaller, but it's it's really not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I really like, and I also I like in the illusionist. I'm totally dominating the conversation. I apologize. No, that's cool. um, um, I really like in The Illusionist that because they play the illusions more for actual fantastical wonder um, instead of, you know, mechanical science trickery, mm -hmm. um, it gets more into why illusionists and magicians were so popular at the time, which was this heavy fascination by all layers of society in the metaphysical and spiritualism. And mm -hmm. you get that more in the illusionist, and well, yeah, you you and well to the point where you literally have uh, followers of Ed Norton thinking he can actually raise the dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Very interesting. Well, and all of Ed Norton, like, and Ed Norton's most singular illusions are meant to evoke spirituality, mm-hmm. like the soul. I can raise the dead. So I really liked that part of it. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what was going on there, mm-hmm. and that's what a showman would do is tap into that. Can can we talk about what we didn't like about the movie? About illusionist, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did yeah. what did you not bring? What did, well, bring I've, it up. I've got I've got a I've got a beef with it too. So go ahead, fest. It's it's less illusionist and more like fake. It's more it's more like yeah, we bought the house on CGI. We're not even gonna try to make it look like a somewhat plausible sort of you. You could do it a trick, and I'm like looking at all this, and where I sort of just fell out of it, where he had like the little ghost boy walking through the crowd. <laughs> there is no way to do that, and they just it took me right out of the film. It's like it's not magic anymore. You're just being cheap with CGI now, and blah blah blah. <laughs> It's like it's everything was just a little bit too far versus this is where the prestige did it because everything looked like, oh, yeah, how did they do that? You know, versus like illusionist more like it should be the magicist, magicist, whatever, because well, like he's the illusionist is like doing magic. Yeah. Like because you can't do like half of that stuff actually as an illusion. Well, here's the thing. Um, a lot of that stuff you can do as an illusion, like the orange tree is a real magic trick that was uh, performed on stage by, oh, I wrote this down, uh, a gentleman named Robert Houdin, uh, who was like the inspiration for Houdini. And that trick dates back to like an old Indian manuscript somewhere. So that was a real trick that was performed on stage. And even the the foggy ghost thing can be done on stage. Um, I mean, they show one of the methods in the film itself with the the movie projector projecting on smoke. But um, there was a a thing called a uh, phantoscope, I think it was, where it it was some sort of weird thing with lights and mirrors and, and smoke. Uh, yeah, and smoke, you know, smoke's smoke's important. So there are ways to do that on yeah. stage, but the kid walking through the crowd, you wouldn't be able to. Yeah, no, yeah. that was that was bullshit. I was taken right out. Now that it's just it's way too fantastical. It's hot, it was hard for me to continue to buy but, it, which that's... which is ironic because. You, you know, like 90% of the tricks in The Prestige look more real just because there's it, – it's directed in a way where you are let in on the trick enough that you understand what's happening. And then, of course, there's the miracle exemption with but the Tesla machine. There's the line when they're going to do the la- the last the, – the staging and the guy is like, I'm sorry, it's been a while since I've seen actual magic. It's too good. You got to dress it up more to give people some more doubt, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, very interesting yeah. since, you know, that whole movie really was. You could actually. But on The Illusionist, it just it went too far into the CG and, and everything. is I like, have a counter just, argument. OK. My counter argument is this. In The Illusionist, up until the reveal at the end. I wasn't sure if they were if this was a fantasy movie or not. Mm-hmm. Were they going to play it that he really could do magic? Mm-hmm. And you have to remember that in the ten years since this has been made, CGI has advanced so much further. When we first saw this in two thousand and six, those illusion the CGI didn't scream the same way it does now. So 
Well, it's for not me, even that. Yeah. I, for, I, so for me, when those illusions happened, I accepted them at because I didn't yet know what it was they were trying to tell me was possible. Well, but the thing is, I, I mean, CG or no CG, the kid walking through the crowd is... It's flatly impossible. It's flatly impossible. Right. And, and, um... They didn't keep the question lingering. And at that point, I was like, bullshit. <laughs> well, there, there's also... And, and in retrospect, once you get to the ending and you realize, yeah, he was just a regular stage ma magician, in retrospect, it's like... That is breaking the covenant with the audience. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That is the moment where the covenant broke. Not when it happened, but when we get to the end and I'm like, you didn't do a good enough job of making me believe he could have done all the things he did. Yeah. Yeah, there like you go. The, where where the failure fall, where the failure in the movie happens is in the reveal at the end. The yeah. reveal at the end does not do enough work. The last minute. Oh God. Yeah, the last minute it was all out of the ass. It's it, it was what how did I say it? It's like it was, was it like basically the movie like like nudging you really hard in the arm with its elbows like did you get it did you get it yeah. that's what happened did you get it did you nudge 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 yeah oh that hurts you know that sort of yeah that, and and that is my biggest beef with the film is that ending while it is kind of cool to see it all together to see how they were you know putting the little trail of breadcrumbs through the movie. It wasn't played well. <laughs> Paul Giamatti just sitting there laughing. Um, and then there's the kind of uncomfortable thing is like, mm, you just framed that guy for a murder he didn't commit. Gar granted, he's an asshole and he was plotting against the his father and, you know, he... He was planning to murder his father. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I mean, not a good guy. And uh, there were many other things that I would feel justified in killing that man for. But that was a crime that he did not commit. But then he shot himself that removes that whole thing having to be brought up. Yeah. And so it's like he not actually went through the whole trial. And then it was like, oh, here we get to the prestige now. It's not like they went through the whole trial. It's like, holy crap, I just helped this guy. You know, that sort of thing. So See, they are yeah. very similar, actually. They yeah, are they very are. Similar. But I am better with the illusionist because, number one, yes, he kills himself. Hey, we don't know what the outcome of a trial would have been. Right. If there would have been one. The fact of the matter is, by killing himself, he acknowledges that he himself believes it is entirely probable I did kill that girl. Mm. This is something that would have happened. I acknowledge I am, at heart, a murderer, and they are going to find that out about me. <laughs> it's not about the whole, I'm going to kill my father to usurp the throne, that sort of thing, too. I mean, that yeah. alone. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are there are many other reasons to kill that guy. But And that's why that's why it doesn't bother me. Yes, they framed him for murder. It, but it they still didn't makes pull me the very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, what? You and I sit there and watch, like, revenge, like, payback, right? That's oh, I know. That's a very bad man, and he's give, delivering the, bad, the goods to the bad people. Crown Prince Leopold is a fuckstick. Well, yeah, I completely agree. He hey, has hey. already murdered one girl before. Do you know my favorite type of food? Um, comeuppance. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fess. Now that said, I want to say I really enjoy the character of the prince. I think he is extremely well written because it is, and I think Rufus Sewell does a great job with him. His problem, he hates not knowing 
and he not knowing how the trick is happening makes him feel powerless. And so right. he's got to find a way to control it and diminish it. Right. And Edward Norton has enough pride and enough it's pride and it's definitely hubris, but it's also a little bit of, I recognize that you're a man who needs to be taken down a peg once in a while. It would be good for you. <laughs> and so I love the sword gag that he yes. pulls on him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because the whole subtext of that is just, is Edward Norton going, do not fuck with me. <laughs> you're going to put me on the spot, try to deconstruct my tricks in front of everybody and prove that they're fake. Mm-hmm. Fine. Try to pick up your own goddamn sword, asshole. Yeah, I came prepared. Yeah, you wouldn't like him when he's angry. Exactly. (laughs) So when Eisenheim, Edward Norton, and Sophie make love, this is that is the scene where the score caught my attention. Oh, really? Okay. Because it is it is more like an action score. Mm Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is not, oh, I'm in love. It's it's more like a thriller or an action. It's very urgent. It's actually kind of stressful. Maybe you could call it passionate. But I found myself like, yeah, because them doing what they're doing right now, that's not, oh, yay, we're in love. Both of them the entire time are like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. This is putting us in a bad spot. And also they've been horny for each other for like a decade. Yeah, there's also that like that <laughs> let's just all admit that didn't ha- that didn't go on that long. Not the first not the first round. <laughs> now for me, if you want to talk about things that tripped me up, between Sophie quote dying and mm-hmm. then him coming up with his new show with the you know being able to raise the dead and that show goes on for a while, it's months months that Sophie's been off where doing what and then when the inspector when Giamatti finally gets around to going looking for the locket it has been months yeah no horse has been in there no horse has been in there no groom has cleaned the stable has switched out the hay would that locket really still be there are you sure it's months not weeks yeah yeah I'm sure it's months because he the comes, seems the same. Well, the weather throughout is pretty much. <laughs> it's a very Eastern Europe. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, look, it's chilly constantly, but pleasant enough. I could wear shirt sleeves when it's sunny out. <laughs> la, 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 la. But I mean, like when you say weeks, think about it. It's minimum of eight weeks. Mm-hmm. That's two months. I, I think I like this movie tonally and emotionally more, and I really love Paul Giamatti's character. I really love the conflict he's put in. Like, mm-hmm. watching it this time around, I'm like, yeah, this hinges on this man and him being fascinated and curious and frustrated. Like, And I'm sad that Paul Giamatti's career has kind of died off a little bit. I really like him. Yeah, he'll he'll always be around, I think. He's such a solid actor, you know, nobody's doubting that. Yeah. But what this movie doesn't do is it doesn't explain the tricks well enough. Right. And that's what you want. Right. I mean that's that's the whole thing is like at the end, you gotta make me believe all of this was possible. And so Yeah, I mean when they when they did the tricks, it became very clear like with the with the orange tree, it looked CGI. It's it's not like it looked like they could have built that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the butterflies coming out. Yeah. 
are, uh, you know, yeah, it looks CG. And that's why I was like, is he supposed to actually be able to do magic? Is that the twist? Mm-hmm. Is that the, like, the unknowable here is that, holy shit, this guy actually can do this shit. I mean, I knew, I knew even the first time around, I'm like, uh, her death is a fake. Like, yeah. The setup for that is just too obvious. Uh, a couple of bits of trivia. Ricky Jay was the magic advisor along with James Friedman. And yes, Edward Norton did learn basic sleight of hand for mm-hmm. the movie. He was there, there were some hand doubling, but not, not all of it was hand doubling. And Ricky Jay also in the prestige. Uh huh. And he trained Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman to do sleight of hand. Which you gotta be, I, that takes some skill to teach other people how to do that shit. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Originally, Liv Tyler was going to be Sophie. Mm, not sure about that. <laughs> well, think of the time. I mean, I mean, no, I no, I mean, yes, I believe she was cast, but it would not have. It would not have worked. No, she would not have been nearly as good as Jessica Biel. So I like Jessica Biel. I do too. Actually, I think I think she is lovely and real. Yeah. Like I like I believe her b- both as uh, she's like a stunning example of the girl next door. Yes. Like you look real if real ever looked that good. <laughs> no, I've never known a girl next door like that. She's she's got a wholesome quality. Oh, is that what it's supposed to mean? Yeah. Yeah, the all-American, you know, pretty but not slutty. I don't know what that even means anymore. <laughs> The girl next door thing, yeah. And I'm not even talking about her looks per se. I'm talking about her vibe. Yeah. Like, she brings a naturalness Mm -hmm. to things that I really enjoy. She's got an earthy, uh, very casualness at her core. Yeah. That makes, yeah. Down to earth, yes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So what I find interesting is that the twist in this movie is that it's a con. Mm -hmm. She is actually alive. Whereas the twist in The Prestige is that it's not a trick. Yeah. Yes. Neither neither one of the big tricks were tricks at all. Well, one of them was. I mean, it's it's an old school trick, but it's grounded in reality. The other one it well, we can get into that. Yeah. But should we but shift the, over to the, the prestige? Ori- yeah, yeah I think the we original transported man that um Christian Bale was doing, it wasn't a trick. There were just two men. Mm-hmm. Like and Hugh Jackman couldn't believe it was that simple. Yeah. So he had to make it harder. So there's that layer of trickery of like, no, it is exactly what you think it is. Well, let's back up a bit on that trick because this is where I started getting confused. Mm-hmm. Of, this was this was Fess's first time through the Prestige. Yeah. Well, and it's so, a complicated movie. It is. So watching the teleported man trick and whatnot goes in one door, comes out the other, and he's just like, oh man, that's so good. How is he doing that? And the guy's like, it's a double. But it's like, no, but his fingers is like, da-da-da, you know, because he lost a couple of his fingers earlier. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that was like a telltale sort of thing, too, that it's got to be the same person. got to be the same person. It's not a double. And like in my head, because I know how that trick is done without a double, it's a shallow drop into the stage. You slide your ass over and you pop back up. Yeah, but there's there's no way he could do it that quickly, fast. Well, it, well and I mean, that's it's the that, thing. It's that instantaneous thing. It wasn't instantaneous. It was it was long enough to again have that. Well, extra. the bo- following the bouncing ball, but it still is only a couple seconds. Yeah, it's only the a only couple way of to seconds, get over there. Well, not even that. I've not even seen that. that. 
The only then Fess, you've not seen what you thought you saw. There is no way for him to get over there without running in plain view. It's also a Hollywood movie, and it's dressed up to be a little bit quicker than that. But it's like I've seen stuff. There was like this reveal all magic show on TV in the nineties, and Mm -hmm. the guy got drummed out of the magic guild because he basically revealed all these tricks Mm -hmm. on TV. It was Valentino was the guy, and he was like they had you know. <laughs> acrylic you see through stuff and one of them was like sliding underneath going to the other side mm-hmm. and it's just like it's it's like this is the guy with logic science and everything is like he's got to be doing like, like that and and it's like it can't it's and i'm like it's not actually magic he's just doing that and then when he was coming up with the actual sort of trip where he's like dropping all this way down the stage it's like what is wrong with you? Why are you, again, making it harder than it actually is? No, no. I mean, well, I mean, you can see where he's going, where he's he's watching the original trick, and he knows it's not Christian Bale going underneath the stage to pop up in the other box. He knows that because it's happening too quick to do that. So he can't figure it out. Of course, everybody is telling him, it's a double. It's a double. No, he's got a double. You do it with twins. You've got a double. And there were so many signs. It's like flashing neon signs. It's a double. It's a double. No, it can't be. It can't be. No, it can't be. be. And so, so Hugh Jackman, you know, his first design of this trick... You know, very, it looks great because there is no box. It's just two doors on the stage. And because even though the way the doors open, it hides a lot because they look so shallow. Uh You're like, nothing is hidden. How did you do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, in terms of stage worthiness, Mm -hmm. it's gorgeous. And then, of course, you know, he uses a double in that one and it kind of works. But not really, because the double is a jackass. Yes. <laughs> Hugh like Jackman was having are... so but, much fun. It, but yes, the, Hugh Jackman playing his own double is a stroke of brilliance. And I love seeing him play the two different characters. And It's so oh. great. But once that fails, you can see him just fall down the insanity rabbit hole until he reaches Nikola Tesla. And... I mean, I know this is the point where, where Fess got kind of mad at the movie, which is the, you know, once it suddenly goes to a sci-fi angle with Tesla building a machine that kind of does what Hugh he Jackman wants to do. Hugh Jackman takes it and just figures out a way to make it do what he wants to do. And... Everybody thinks of the twist at the end of this movie as the reveal that Christian Bale actually had a brother. But I think the greatest reveal in this movie is the reveal of what Hugh Jackman was doing to himself with the machine. Yes! It's so fucked up! Oh my god! I remember the first time I saw it sitting in the theater and I think I put it together in my brain what he was doing about a minute or two before it was actually revealed. And... Oh my god, that's a horrifying thing. Yeah, because you're given the clues with the hats, with uh-huh. the cat, with the duplicate blind old men, mm-hmm. and you and yet it isn't until like that, you know, maybe right before they show you what happened the first time he duplicated himself that you're like, wait, 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 what? What? Mm-hmm. And your answer is to kill the other one. Yeah, yeah, and and and. It, becomes even darker when he 
you know, the in his little uh, monologue at the end of the film, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be the one on the platform or the one out in the audience. Because he, he has no he, idea. He has always failed to grasp what's really happening. Well, I think he grasps. Well, he's I mean, he, always the copy because that is always the one that lives. And he always thinks it's chance that that's the way it went. But it's not because he fails to grasp by the fact that if he's the one remembering, then he's the one out there. But the one that's in the tank is just as real. And that's him too. That's yeah. the thing he's not getting. It's, yeah, you're both. You're yeah, not one or a, the other. It's you're, a double. It's a double. It's a double. You're not, you know, like, oh, it takes bravery because I never know if I'm going to be the one who lives or dies. It's not or. It's and. You are killing mm-hmm. yourself every night. Mm-hmm. You, you're, it's so fucking sick. Let's yes. back. I want to back up a bit. Okay. So, I don't know. I remember looking at my phone for like a minute for something. I don't know if it was this minute that everything was... The piece I missed. What's that? What's that? The flying buttress to the whole thing is like maybe I missed the flying buttress. Uh, you missed the keystone. No, the flying buttress. The keystone at the flying buttress top. Okay. Um. Well, that is that's okay. So. <laughs> um, oh, your metaphors. So it's metaphor or simile. Uh, <laughs> depends on what I say. It's okay. So he's going to Nikola Tesla because of the breadcrumbs in the journal that he's deciphering he says that something is like i know that you built a machine for somebody and tesla is just like yes and all that even though as we find out no there was no fucking machine that was ever built or was there now wait a minute so nikola tesla is just sort of like this weird antisocial sort of person is like yeah i don't know what the fuck you're talking about but you'll give me money and no, sure i'll no, make no, you no no no, no. Tesla never says, yes, I made that other machine. Tesla needed money. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so here comes a man who says, you built this other machine. I want a machine that does this. And we don't see the part where he says, this is what I want you to build. But he tells him, you built this machine that does this for somebody else. I want you to build it for me. Tesla just doesn't say, I never built that before because Tesla looks at it and goes, well, I can build that. So, and you're willing to give me a fuck ton of money. So, okay. Well, he takes some convincing because he doesn't take the offer right away, though. Also, if I remember right, um, in one of Christian Bale's acts, um, he had some electrical widgets at the back of the stage. So That wasn't until later, because he dressed up his teleporting man act with electrical afterwards. Yeah, it's, but it's hard it, but it's hard to track because I mean even though it happens later in the movie the the timelines are all scrambled up as you're watching the the film. So the I mean, reason I, why the reason why he believes Tesla is that he saw he saw Christian Bale at the Tesla ex- exhibition. Yeah. That's yeah. why. He saw him there too. Okay. And, so, and there was also the the hint with the, you know the piece of paper, paper that says Tesla on it that, yeah, that's the key code. That, yeah. And but Hugh Jackman didn't know it at the time. It just said Tesla. And so he took it to mean more than just being the, the code to the journal. Yeah. Looks like we're going to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And there we go. Um, but, okay, so Tesla's doing this. And then we see the scene. is like, here, we're going to test it with your hat. And it's like, nothing happens. And they're all just sort of looking at it. It's like, you didn't build the trap door in. The trap door didn't work. I'm constantly waiting for the... Tra- what is he waiting for? <laughs> for some reason, I never grasped that he's actually trying to make 
for realsies, a teleportation device. I was like, you you didn't get the trap door to go. Like, I constantly, because I'm because okay, everything Tess, is being explained, how... everything is being real, and so going again, it's like suddenly it's going to be sci-fi for some reason. My brain wasn't accepting that, and I'm but wondering, it, like, but... what the fuck are you doing? But Hugh Jackman never believed it was a trick. He thought he was really transporting himself. And then... I never gathered that. Because I always I don't, was thinking, I don't know how you slide don't. through the floor to go well, to the other door. Well, well even you, well, you had background knowledge that made you believe that there was something else happening. And yeah, I think and, that got and, in your way. And also, I think that Hugh Jackman just said to Nikola Tesla, I need a thing that puts takes me from over here and puts me over here. And... Rather than designing a magic trick, Nikola Tesla, not being a magician, would actually go, hmm, I think I could teleport matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and I mean, part of that is just knowing, you know, knowing a little bit who, of who Tesla was, but I mean. I and mean, then the I light bulbs. That, the, oh, the light the bulbs. The light bulbs and, thing. And it's like, well, you can't do that. Yeah. You, well, and so well, I'm that, being pulled out scientifically. At this point, because the science isn't real, versus the, the other movie, I'm being pulled up because the magic's not real. No, well, here's, Nicola, here's the thing: the light bulbs in the ground, though, that was a thing that Tesla acted like real. That's real. That was fucking real. That Tesla was trying to do that. He oh. was trying to charge the ground so you could just stick a fucking plug in it and run a refrigerator. But here's the thing: I know you can't do that because he it's. Those are AC bulbs. They're not DC bulbs. You can't you know, have both contact points touching the Fess, same why ground do you watch movies? But, here, but here's the thing. Fess, why do you watch movies? They are predicated on telling you something that is fictional. And right, you it, clearly have a problem with that. Well, it wasn't well, believable enough because you can't do that with those bulbs because the contacts would be the same touching. You couldn't do that because it's alternating current. You don't know if he built a different... He, maybe he built a different type of light bulb. It just looks the, the same. Bulb out of the ground. It's a regular It just bulb. looks the same on the outside for yeah. For Christ's sake, have a little the, suspension of well, disbelief. It's the base. The base. I, I love that that's your problem and not the fact that the ground is basically electrified. But um, they, the, the whole point of that scene is um, if you have a little bit of background in Tesla, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people know is that he was trying to electrify the ground so you could just pull energy out of it. And so yeah. what that scene was, was kind of showing you that prestige is showing you a world where Tesla actually got this shit to work. Yeah. And so it's it's part of a hint that tells We're gonna you We're going to take a step a step to the left of reality. Yeah. Just a little bit into an alternate universe. Yeah. And t and Tesla can actually make a machine that can duplicate stuff. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm going to take us back to the beginning cuz I do want to talk about some but some I structural But I want to more. <laughs> no, we're not going to let you. No, no. No, I'm sorry. I, I can't handle can it. Can I say one last thing, at least for now? Is like, I would have believed the Tesla stuff more in The Illusionist. <laughs> All right. Okay. So anyway. anyway, I want to talk about some of the structural things because they're important. First oh, off. yes. I love how this this movie is structured, actually. The movie is structured as a trick. Yeah, it's amazing. They tell you exactly what they're going, what they are going to do in the first scene. Mm -hmm. So you open up on the hats. Right, right away, the first shot is the hats. This is what's happening. You just don't know it yet. And then 
you get Michael Caine explaining how a trick is structured. This is the prologue. And then that is exactly how the movie is structured. Mm -hmm. So you get the pledge, something ordinary. And then they show you Hugh Jackman, an ordinary man, in his final trip. The turn, the ordinary does something extraordinary, and you want to be fooled. Mm -hmm. You don't clap until you bring it back. That's the prestige. And then he says, there is always a trick, but you haven't seen it yet because you don't really want to know. <laughs> like all of these words are said right there in the first three minutes and they're all incredibly important. This whole movie is constructed like that magic trick, magic tricks within magic tricks. It's like totally, you know, magic inception. Um, <laughs> Whoa. And it's yeah. flashback inside flashback and journal inside journal because Borden gets handed Angier's journal. Christian Bale gets handed Hugh Jackman's journal. Hugh Jackman at this point is supposed to be dead. And so Borden is reading Angier's journal. And in Angier's journal, Angier is talking about reading Borden's journal. And so mm -hmm. you start with the flashback of what Hugh Jackman was up to. And then by reading Christian Bale's journal, you go another level in of reading what Christian Bale was doing. And that's how we go all the way back to the beginning to their first, when they were both working as magician's assistants. And even then, one of the first things Michael Caine says to very young Christian Bale is, some nights you just don't get it because <laughs> already he's living a double life. Right. And that's the reason he can spot what the Chinese man is doing because he's already grasped the good tricks are the ones that you, the ones that you live. Now, here's the great thing that I caught because this is like my third viewing and I was really paying attention. The canary trick. That, I love the canary trick. That is a great tell. <laughs> the, the canary trick that Hugh Jackman hates. I don't want to do that. I don't want to kill a bird. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the trick he's doing at the end. Uh-huh. He is literally killing the bird in the cage, in the electrical cage, and pulling a different bird out over here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you fucker. And and the kid in the audience, <laughs> what happened to his brother? Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a hint for both of them. What happened to his brother? And, like, these two, clearly, the, the two twin Bordens, what I don't understand is why why would they keep switching back and forth? Why not just live one as Fallon, one well, as that, Borden? It makes, it actually does make sense that they keep switching. Uh, so, well, for, so one isn't, one can actually live the life uh, and not just be in the background the whole time. Uh, also, it keeps up appearances that it's, you don't need to imitate the other person because you are the other person. It's easier to keep up the facade if you're both sharing in it. That's why, and it makes yeah, a whole lot of sense. That's an interesting that's, point. That's why he didn't know what he tied. Except uh, that and part, that's that why is, some me, days he, he actually loves his wife and some days he doesn't. Well, yeah. that yeah, that's obvious. It's like some days you mean it. Well, some days it's not actually your husband. Um mm -hmm. But, and, and one loves one woman and one loves the other. But but I, I think it's uh, – oh, I had a point and it's now gone. I was saying it was it's easier to keep the keep up the facade if you keep switching. Oh, yeah. I was going to say – and, and maybe, maybe they were just kinksters and they liked wife swapping. Um, I don't think they ever slept with the <laughs> other one's girl. 
I think they would conveniently get a headache or whatever. Actually, now that I think about it, how much did it eat away at (laughs) Hugh Jackman that he never got to take the bow? Mm -hmm. By switching out, they make sure that they each get the turn to Ah. be, to take the bow. Interesting. Yeah. And by doing that, you never have your double able to hold it over you if you're not giving me enough. Mm -hmm. But here's the, when you talk about things that don't make sense, for me, the sticking point in this movie is why didn't they just lie to Angier, to, to Hugh Jackman about which knot was tied? Just they do know which knot was tied. They do. Mm-hmm. Because whichever one of them was there, it's like, yeah, that's the knot I tied. Why keep lying about it? Because except, it's, it's except, an admittance of guilt. No, or, except that they want in the movie, it's it, it's another clue for the puzzle, except that this is the one clue that I'm like, I don't buy that one. Like, well, pick, a, you know what? pick a knot and say that that's what you did. Just lie to it. It, it. No, it. I mean, it could be another, you know, just something about Christian Bale's character is that maybe he, even the one who did tie the knot doesn't remember. Like yeah. he, it Except mattered, the, it it's mattered so, so little. It, it but, mattered so little to him. No, I don't buy that because the moment when you watch it is he starts to tie a knot. He looks at the wife. The wife gives him a subtle nod of, yes, let's try the other knot. He takes the knot off and reties it. You could also say that he started to tie the wrong knot. He looked up. She nodded like, you know what? Let's keep to what we know. But the point is that whatever it was he was doing, the wife knew what he was doing and gave and like was in on it. Well, and yeah, yeah. She she definitely signaled him. but And she knew her knot. So she would know whether or not he was what knot he was doing. Right. No, I, I I totally agree with that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that character really remembers what he did. I mean, it 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 could be just one of those things that Which, you know he okay, was just so going they, about his day and didn't even think about it long enough. So why not? But why not just pick a knot and say that's what we tied? Why not just lie? I don't know because it's an admittance of guilt. No, it's not. Or, you could just pick one and say, no, that's not the knot we tied. And he or, wouldn't believe you. How about this? The first time first time that question was asked was of the one who did, genuinely did not know. And then subsequent times, if it was asked of the other Christian Bale, he had to match what was said by the other one. Mm. Mm. It could be. The, the, they just, they keep damaging each other. If just one of them would walk away. Like <laughs> oh god, yeah. then we'd have no movie. Yeah, that, that's like, true. It's like well, for example, like you can understand why Jackman comes for revenge and blows his fingers off, which mm-hmm. then leads to Bale coming and ruining his canary trick. Fine, but then when we come around to Jackman steals his trick, dick move. He doesn't just destroy it; he moves the cushion so that Jackman gets hurt. Yeah. That's that's where it takes it to that next level of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, now you're upping the game again. Like before it was kind of even, but, and then of course, Jackman keeps saying he ruined my life. He ruined my life. He killed my wife. But when it comes down to it, he's like, I don't care about my wife. I got to know what his trick is. Yeah. And well, because it, he wants to destroy just, him. He just still well, wants he, he's to gotten, destroy him. He wants to win by it. Yeah. Right, yeah. but I thought the whole like moving the pad is like, dude, that's a dick move. You know you're all. It's like you already know you're in the fucking wrong. Let it go because you fucking killed his wife. 
Because you did. <laughs> like, it was fair to fuck his trick up because he had stolen his trick. Yeah. It was fair for Christian Bale to fuck up Jackman's trick. But not Jackman to, like, was break stealing his from legs. him. But moving the cushion is just a dick move. No, mm. who actually shot his fingers off? Because I thought that was, it almost seemed like it was just some random guy. Oh, no, that no. was Hugh Jackman it, in disguise. It was, okay. Yeah, yeah. And he it he makes it clear, and because but not Bale, did you tie? Bale yeah. recognizes him and moves aside, but his hand still gets hurt. Um, I do like the line where Jackman says, "If people actually believed the things I did on stage, they wouldn't clap; they'd scream." Right. Like, and it's true when you think about it. Like, mm-hmm. and it ties back to that whole thing. You know, it's a trick. You want to know how it's done. But you don't really know. Like when he shows his wife how you catch a bullet, the trick for that. And she and she's like, because she, she's fascinated. She's like, oh, my God, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? He tells her. He's like, oh, it's really, really obvious once you know, isn't it? Oh, I'm not impressed anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, palm the bullet before you even put it in the gun. Yeah. Or he or he, with him, it was the, the tamper. Mm-hmm. The tamper grabs it. Right. Mm-hmm. The, uh... <laughs> I have seen the bullet trick done by Penn and Teller, and that's really extraordinary. Neither of them either leave stage. Neither of them touch the gun. Neither of them cross the middle line of the stage so so they don't ever come even near each other. It's one of those amazing things where it's like, I have no idea how they did that trick. Literally, it's set up so there was no way the bullet could literally travel between the two halves of the stage without actually being shot there. It's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. They're they're and when they show you how they do stuff, it even how they do it is like so incredibly smart. Oh yeah. It, you 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 do are in you're not like, oh it's obvious now. I'm not impressed. You're like, shit, that's still kind of cool even knowing how it's done. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean Penn and Teller are the masters of telling you the trick and still being amazing. Yeah. Have you ever seen them do the, the cup and ball trick with clear glasses? No. Oh, there's video of it online. You know, dear listeners, I will link it in the show notes. It's great. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So then they find, they find the double for Hugh Jackman and Hugh Jackman. And, and once again, the minute cutter is immediately like he's got a double, but Hugh Jackman won't believe him. And so they find the double and Hugh Jackman again, he says, great, all I have to do is keep myself stinking drunk and no one will be able to tell the difference. And again, he unknowingly is telling the truth. Like, yes, that's how the trick is actually working. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. Uh, and he, and, but then like he does say, I don't care about my wife. I care about his secrets. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, and there's the, here's the other part that falls down. When you see Jackman discover that he's been tricked by... Christian Bale's journal when he gets to the end and Christian Bale is like, this was planted. I wrote this just for you to send you off on a wild goose chase to get you out of my hair for a couple of years so that I can have London and, and I can become a star. And Hugh Jackman breaks in a really profound way. Mm -hmm. Like he starts crying in a like, and it's after that, that he comes up with his, his trick. Did he, he planned to frame Borden the entire time, or was that just lucky? Hmm. I'm sure he was hoping for that to happen. I used to think that it was planned for it, that he wanted to do that. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think that was just luck and he went with it. I think so, too. 
But because, why? Because, and, and I well, think, how did we get to the point where he's like, ha ha, I'm not really dead. And now you're going to hang. Fuck you. No, well, no, I, mean, no, I like, think, I think, I think it's because, okay, so the trick happens, right? The, you get the transportation, the actual transportation. So you've got one Hugh Jackman at the back of the theater uh-huh. and one below the floor. And Christian Bale runs out on the, to the stage and then goes down to see what happened, right? Yeah. Well, there's a Hugh Jackman at the back of the theater who sees Christian Bale run out on stage. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, that's not how it plays. Nope. He, he goes up to inspect. He, he, he goes up to inspect, then he goes backstage, and then while it's all going, he sees him fall through. When he falls through, he's also teleported over there. So the second one would only have known that he was down there by him no, screaming no. below the stage. Well, yeah, but I mean... Unless he knew he had shown up to that show in particular and would have maybe waited a little bit in like, case... Like, no, maybe he spotted him when he came up on stage. Yeah. Like, I don't think he planned to frame him. I think... Well, I, I well, think either the, he spotted him coming up on stage and decided to go with it, or before he could reveal himself, he heard the screams. Yeah, that's the other thing and, I was going to point out. So the one-two punch of he noticed Bale was there at some point, and then by the time Hugh Jackman number two was in the back of the theater, um, or Hugh Jackman, whatever edition he was, whatever time he was in the back of the theater, he heard the screams, and he's like, "Oh, I'll just, I'll just roll with this one." I'm pretty yeah. I I was thinking that that's probably what uh, would have happened. Maybe he was kind of hoping that this scenario would happen. Maybe. And uh, I think it's a combination of. I think he was trying hope. to bury because remember by doing this act he's destroying Christian Bale's act, mm-hmm. which is very popular because mm-hmm. this is even better. And so he's hoping to bury Christian Bale and then like either ride it higher or retire. We don't know, but he's gonna stop doing the trick. Well, yeah, and he he put an end to it in the first place. I mean, the uh, the theater contract is for a hundred performances. Yeah, Very he's set. like he's going to stop doing it after a hundred. Whether he was going to keep doing magic and ride on his reputation, mm-hmm. or whether he was going to retire, I don't know about that. But he wanted to just prove he had the best version of the trick. Period. Barry Christian Bale. When I say Barry, I mean like destroy his show. Right. Like, he did say so that this was going to be his last performance too. Yeah, but yeah, but who well, knows? We've all heard actors say that. Um, <laughs> but and I do like that it's Christian Bale in this instance who's like, and when you find out talking to his brother of like, just let it go. Don't go back there. Don't investigate. Just let it go. Yeah. But it's him, him trying to steal the trick. Because that's what he's doing when he goes downstairs. It's him trying to steal the trick back. Mm-hmm. That is ultimately what gets him caught. So there is there is a little bit of a fair, like there's a little bit of justice there. If yeah. you if you weren't trying to fuck each other over so hard, yeah, I've, it's that that never ending cycle of revenge that is so frustrating to watch and yet so juicy. I mean, yeah. n- now I kind of want to go back and watch the movie and try to determine in each scene. Which Christian Bale is Alfred? Yeah. yeah. Is it the one married to Sarah or the one who's in love with ScarJo? <laughs> and we what know it's we know it's the one who's who was in love with ScarJo, not the father. 
We know it's not the father who hangs right. because he says to Fallon right before he does get hanged, I'm sorry about Sarah. I'm sorry I hurt her. Mm-hmm. So we know. And that clears up. Oh, okay. So she will be with her actual father, not just her uncle. Well, there's also, uh, you know, during the, the big monologuing thing at the end, uh, he says, I was the one who was in love with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, like flat out, you know which one is at the end. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love the scene where Scarjo is like when you when they go back and reveal that it's like he sent me to you like I was a stagehand, like he would send out for his shirts. No, mm-hmm. fuck that. I'm I'm really going to help you. I'm really available to you. Mm-hmm. One of the really haunting scenes, uh, you know, later in the movie is where Christian Bale's character is like. Oh shit! Oh shit! I gotta get him out of there. You're like, he's, yeah. He's not like some sort of vindictive reward. Just like, it's too real. This can't happen. This is no. I gotta save you. And then you think, what is Hugh Jackman's character in the tank seeing him try to free him? Thinking, <laughs> yeah, really. It's like, how sobering may that be? That maybe he was planning. Oh yeah, I'm gonna just gonna kill my other self, and I'm gonna. Yeah, maybe this will happen. That he'll kill my he'll kill myself, and then he'll get blamed for all this. And then it's like when he's seeing this, how sobering could that be? It's like shit. This guy's trying to save my life. It's a character moment for both of them that I think is very interesting because you know Christian Bale suddenly going into crap. There, there's a person dying in front of me and just you know reacting with instinct and. Hugh Jackman, you know, I don't know if he, in the tank, I don't know if anything's going through his mind except, oh my God, I'm drowning. Help. Oh my God, I'm drowning. <laughs> yeah, except but, that yeah. he had to know when he dropped, like before he stepped into the cage, I might be the one who drowned. So it's 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 a little surprising how panicky it's played because well, I, well, when you're I mean, actually faced with death versus yeah, yeah i mean and, and i get that's it that's different yeah. and, and not to be too macabre but people who know me will know where i'm coming from with this uh when people try to commit suicide for like actual because this is basically he's get, preparing to commit suicide mm-hmm. um depending on the type of method that they do the body will actually go into an instinctive uh no i'm not going to do this well, yeah, because your instinct yeah. to live is enormous. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, he would he but, would fight it anyway. Right. Yeah. But the people that also plan, I say, to thoroughly counteract and plan for that aspect as well. Hence the, you know, actual locking lid for one. Right. And, you know, that sort of thing. So... Yeah, I don't but know the, where I was oh going with this. I mean, when we it, also need a... F- they, why didn't they have better axes for breaking that glass? You'd think. <laughs> what? Oh, you're going way back to the wife, though. Well, no, yeah. both times. It's like, I mean... No, if this he was doesn't want the glass to break the second well, time. Still, but well, the, still. Thing, the thing is, I mean, in those days, you didn't have acrylic or, you know, reinforced glass for tanks like that. So the glass was thick i mean th- this stuff th- that plate glass must have been like several inches thick because uh you actually see it in the scene where the wife dies how thick that that glass also is. um couldn't help but be like i'm sorry but the way that glass breaks she would have been shredded going over it yeah but the, it would have been the water. better than her just oh yeah drowning right there i mean yeah 
Yeah. Also, she had just just lost consciousness. They totally could have revived her. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. They, and I asked Melissa. But they, they don't asked really Melissa, know how. I yeah. asked Melissa. Did they know CPR back then? No, not really. No, no. Okay, one final thing I want to bring up of ex- of something that oh, this time around I'm like oh fuck you, Angier Hugh Jackman. You're a you're a, you're a twisted fucking dick. <laughs> it there's a classist bent to him, and here's where I picked up on it: the blind old man that he duplicates. Mm-hmm. Think about that. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Did he he ask that man? Did he explain? Or did he just do it to him? I'm betting he just did it to him. And now... Well, there had to be some sort of level of compliance, because you can't be just like, oh shit, what the hell is going on all around me? Uh, Well, but the compliance is, because look at that old man. That old man has probably been poor ill-fed, homeless, you know, he's one of the, like, the extremely poor of society. Here comes super rich, as we find out, mm-hmm. Angier, and basically he buys him for his own purposes. Mm-hmm. And I'm betting he doesn't even ask before he duplicates him. Now, you know that that blind man, unless he's dumb as well, we'd never hear him speak that I recall, so maybe he also can't speak, which would pro- which in that case, we know he never tells him, in which case... This is a person, you fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he can speak, at some point he figures that blind old man is figuring out that this is another him because that other him would be like, no, my name's John. No, my name's John. Wait, what? What exactly happened? Oh, well, we're being fed. But I didn't even know that he duplicated him. I, I guess I never picked up on oh, I thought he just it's, it's grabbed a bunch subtle. of blind people. <laughs> no, it's very subtle, but he duplicates the old man. Think about how little... Like, what does that say? He doesn't really... And because he does that, the fact that he is killing his own copy becomes even creepier because he's made copies of this other man and he acknowledges that they can still exist, mm-hmm. but it would ruin my trick. I always wondered, was like, why wouldn't he just keep an extra one of himself? Just yeah. in case. <laughs> yeah, why not just... Because he's not willing to make that sacrifice. Think about it. He's not willing to share a life with a double mm-hmm. the way that Borden is. So he can he sits there and goes, I've made sacrifices. I killed myself every night. Yeah, because it was easier to be a fucking mass murderer than to just make a double and go, holy shit, you and I are both in total agreement. Let's figure out how to do this. The fact that the minute his double appears, his instinct is to kill him is so telling. Mm-hmm. There's no wonder. There's no weightless talk about it. He's like, holy shit, boom. It's fucked up. Like, oh, like when you really think about that character, it's layer upon layer upon layer of awful. Yeah, I would have I talked to me for a while. I probably would have done other stuff too, but yeah. Whereas, I mean, Christian Bale is by no means perfect, but Hugh Jackman's character takes it to a whole level, a whole other level of almost like sociopathic. Like, his slope is so much steeper. <laughs> well, and I think it comes from being brought up rich. Thing, I should get what I want. I should get what I want. Right? It shouldn't be hard. Why am I not winning? The poor aren't really people. You Like, I, how, do, how does sacrifice work? I don't understand. Huh? Ah. I mean, they're both great movies. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They, I... I 
I think I still like the prestige more because I like how it's constructed. I mean, this time through, I got to watch it with the eyes of, okay, I already know what's going on. Now I get to see how this box is put together and it's, it's fascinating the second time through. The Prestige is a better constructed film. I think I might like The Illusionist better because it's a diff- it, the tone. I just flat out, it like the yeah. vibe, like it's easier to watch. Mm-hmm. The Prestige is harder to watch the more you watch it. Like the first time you're so taken with the puzzle and the twist at the end, you're like, oh my God, that was brilliant. The second time you watch it, you're like going, oh, there's the clues, there's the clues. This is like the third or fourth time I've watched it, maybe even more. And really watching it, I'm like, oh my God, this is a vile person. Mm-hmm. And that's where the tipping point came. Like before this, I would have said hands down the prestige, I prefer it. But this time watching him, I'm like, I think I might actually like the illusionist because at least like I'm not sitting there going, oh my God, this this person is awful. Well, as far as a better movie, I, I went with, the, I go with the prestige. I have my things to say about both of them. Mm-hmm. And the prestige, I just couldn't, couldn't accept the whole, it's, oh, it's suddenly sci-fi now because- I felt that they just couldn't figure out a way how to do it, and I, I felt it was lazy writing and all this sort of such. But yeah, with The Illusionist, it was just lazy production. It just... They took the easy way out. They didn't actually do the tricks versus in The Prestige. They actually did the tricks. So I like The Prestige more because it's put together a lot better. It's it's produced better uh, because they do acknowledge the illusion is like versus uh, like an illusionist well, is like a lot of it is just sort of, well, you don't know how to really do that or to actually really try to I, do it. We'll just CG everything. No, that's not because you're missing the point of what the illusionist, the illusionist is trying to pull a different con. No, yeah. no, I get that. I'm just the I'd illusionist, say from a production no. from a production standpoint, but I like the prestige better. Because it's put together as a better movie. You can you can have a great story, but if you don't sell it, it's like, eh, I don't but, like that movie because it's not well told. Well no, but also Fess, you have a bias against fantastical elements. No, it was the CG really. It was it was the lack of effort in actually trying to do an illusion for the illusionist and it was just cop out we'll just do cg no, because, because we can't do it you you're failing you're missing the point they wanted you to believe or question maybe he really is doing it that's why they used cg no i get that i get no, that no you don't or you wouldn't no, be I arguing do, but that the story wasn't wouldn't... told well enough like that and they, it probably was because it was very obviously cg so i was taking out of the movie more the storyteller was bad no I you liked approached the it from of, the... You approached it from the point of view of there has to be a real way they're doing this trick. And because they're using CG, that's a cop out. When the point of the illusionist was they were trying to make you question, maybe he really can do magic. And that's why they use CG. I'm not saying they used it well, but the structure of the story was they were trying to misdirect you with he can really do magic oh wait, it was all just a con so that they she didn't really die and we could set him up to, we could frame him for murder. That's why they use CG. That's why they didn't try to sell it as a real trick. Like that's a linchpin to the story. They wanted you to believe at some point, they wanted you to question, maybe he really can do magic. And that's why those tricks couldn't look like something that was quote real. I get the narrative. I, and I appreciate it with you t- talking to you tonight about that whole angle, too. You know, I, I get that. The narrative is fine. The storytelling is where I, I, I'm, I'm saying I was taking out of the movie. 
because of certain things. Like, mm-hmm. especially the kid walking through the... It was like, oh, you lazy... Except you're, ju- you're jumping, but you're jumping the gun by the fact that you're doing it at that point. Like, I, I was I, like, I, I because that. that was so overt, because it was so overt, I'm like, because what I did was I took those CG elements and the fact that they were so over the top, I'm like, okay, I think this is meant to give the watcher a clue that maybe this is actually magic happening. Mm-hmm. And that'd be the like, narration. And so, and so as as a storytelling conceit, oh, it's CG. Maybe this is really ha- meant to be true, quote, magic happening in the movie. I will have to wait and find out and withhold my judgment. Oh, that kid is out in the audience. There's no way they could do that mechanically. Maybe he really can do magic. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's really going on. And then when it turns out that it's just a con, I'm like, I can accept that except right. you didn't come up with, and it could be just purely fictional. Like it doesn't have to be a, a trick that could actually work in real life, but you needed in the prestige moment of the film, in the moment of the big reveal, you needed to make me believe he could have done those tricks and you didn't. Right. That's the problem. Well, like, so really, you, you were, two, you two agree, actually. Yeah, yeah we, we I'm are just saying, but, but I'm just saying the prestige got, is technically a better movie. Too like, as soon in, for me, I'm just saying the prestige is technically a better movie, as in, like, technically, as in, like, the techniques and the production, like, yeah. the, not not just the story, the narrative, and I'm just saying the storyteller, as in the production, the director, the yeah. effects, that whole thing. I'm saying the prestige, to me, is much better movie, and much more falls in line. Now, I, I do get the story, I get the narrative, I get what they were going for. I think the prestige was put together a lot better as a movie. Well, yeah, but it's also, a, by its nature, it's meant to be a puzzle movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like it Whereas better too. Whereas the illusionist just... is simply a con. So because Nolan was aiming for a, a puzzle movie where literally it's layers upon layers, he had to construct it so carefully, you're going to end up with a better thought out movie. Mm-hmm. Just by the nature of it. If you're going to pull off that kind of movie well, you've got to really know how all the pieces are moving. And that's the one thing that Nolan does well. Which is why I don't understand how Dark Knight Rises was such a fucking mess. <laughs> I really don't. Like, dude, I maybe your heart wasn't in it, but seriously, it's like you just threw up on the page. What do we want to say about The Illusionist and The Prestige? They're great. Watch them. I really like the two reflections on on what magic is. Honestly, I think they're both really well named and that one is about ma- like magic as a performance and one is about illusion and what yeah. you believe. Nicely put, nicely put. I know, I'm pretty impressed with myself. <laughs> I, I really like both of them and I think our dear listeners should watch both of them. Yes. I and think they there's do- a lot to recommend both films. And they films. do make a good double feature. They do. But they really which do. one would you recommend to watch first? Would you go The Illusionist Prestige or Prestige Illusionist? I would actually go Illusionist Prestige. Me too, because um, I think The Prestige is so much denser. And I, I, I like to usually put the better movie second. Mm-hmm. And I think The Prestige is just a little bit, it has get a little bit of an edge on The Illusionist. Well, and I wouldn't use the word better in the same sense, but yeah, you yeah, don't want to sure. downshift. 
the right. prestige is mm-hmm. definitely going at more RPMs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The illusionist right. will get you in the mood, get you in the setting. Yeah. Yeah. Get you going. Uh, ready to believe and handle uh, the more complex it'll, movie later. It'll, it'll frame your frock coat vision, right? So many frock coats. So many frock coats. Ha ha ha. Men need to wear more frock coats. Yes. Everybody needs more frock coats. I want a frock coat. And facial hair. Frock coats and facial hair with cravats. I don't need facial hair. Cravats. The cravats, cravats. are good. Yeah. Mm. All right. And and David Bowie. And David Bowie. He is... God He's damn, I miss that Nikola man. He's a great Nikola Tesla. He is. Yeah, that he, was a master stroke. David Bowie is Nikola Tesla. The magic man just, walks on. Just suddenly just ever so slightly alien. Yeah. Ever so slightly out of sync with the normal vibrations of planet Earth. Like, oh, your alien leaders left you here to bring wonder to us all. Excellent. <laughs> all right. Hey, Melissa, do you happen to have a Pleasure Dome recommendation for this week? Mm, do I? Do I? Do I? Do I? No, really, do I? I don't know, do you? Um, <laughs> all right, I got one. All right, go for it. And it is appropriate as well. All right. So down here in Austin, we have a game shop called Dragon's Lair. That is the name of it. It's fantastic. And much like uh, Fantasy Flight with their gaming center or like The Source up in the Twin Cities, they have both – they have comics, they have games, they have knowledgeable staff, and they have an area where you can play games. I went looking for a two-person game for Chris for a Valentine's present. And Mm -hmm. what I found was Mr. Jack – the Ooh. pocket version. It's a two-player game. Let me uh, – so – and what I love about this box is is actually in French. But the point is that it's Holmes and Watson tracking down Jack the Ripper. That Excellent. is the conceit of the game. Now, it's called the pocket version because there is apparently a bigger um, board game or a more expanded game version of it where you can play other characters as well, but you're basically still doing the same thing. But what they found out is everybody just wants to play Holmes and Watson. Playing any other character is kind of like, well, that's boring. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so they came up with a two-person version of it. It's a um, It's a simple card game. It takes about... Oh, let's see. It says it's about 15 minutes. Um, it, it comes in a nice little small box. It was maybe $15. So yeah, that is my recommendation because two-person games can sometimes be hard to find. Mr. Jack, the pocket version. I like and it. And because it's Holmes and Watson, it fits nicely in with the Victorian sort of steampunky vibe. There you go. Bravo. Yay me. Ah, Excellent. Fest, did you have a recommendation yet? So it's just a recommendation of something that's cool? Something that you've found recently that you like, that you like to recommend to our listeners. Well, something just, that brought you pleasure. I'm just going to recommend Steven Universe on oh, Cartoon Network. All right. Bravo. Yeah. Because it's it's like one of those things when I saw commercials for it a couple of years ago, I was like, that's dumb. I, I, I made a passing judgment on what the type of thing it was. I am shocked that you would make just a passing judgment on well, something. Well, you know, it's also, I was at, ex, <laughs> uh, I worked at Comcast at the time, and it's like, I was cynical anyway, but you know, I like My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, because 
you know, the first season, third season, and fourth season are really well written. The fourth season just, just hey, we're just going to have fun. And there you go. And it's very smartly written, very accessible, you know, unlike a lot of the children's cartoons that we had when we were kids, mm-hmm. which was just sort of, you look back now, it's like, no, that animation doesn't hold up. The writing is terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's like people are writing things because kids are smart. And it's accessible for teenagers and 20 plus and that, all that sort of stuff. Steven Universe is so much subtext, so diverse. It's got a huge non-white cast, mm-hmm. has v- a variety of body types portrayed in the show. And it's feminist back and forth. And but it's all sort of I don't know if it's subtle or not, but it's accessible and it the feels there are so many feels <laughs> I cry like every other episode because you you get so invested. It's like I I I, I bought individual episodes on Google Play and then I just bought the whole seasons because they were just too good and I've probably watched like the last several because they'll like do uh, Stephen bombs where they'll actually update five days a week brand new episodes because it's like you can't like you'll have problems if you have to wait a week for like some of these because there's starting to get more related to each other it's like ooh, 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 what's gonna happen with this character because they actually like go and try to resolve things and it's like character development is like <gasps> it's amazing you should have seen all those gestures, Wendy. Yeah, I it, I could feel them from here. I want to <laughs> seriously. There was a great disturbance in the force. It was just like the wind movement across the mic with my hands. <laughs> okay, Melissa, you got something? Um, I I was so distracted by that. Um, give me a second. Give me a second. It's like I'm conjuring like magical spells here. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I would like to recommend. Don Hertzfeld's The World of Tomorrow. Oh, bravo, bravo, bravo. <laughs> Good choice. So, dear listeners, um, if you don't recognize the name of Don Hertzfeld, he is an animator who has been around for uh, a decade or two by now. Yeah, which uh, is weird because he's still so young. Uh, he, he's ageless. He's like a he's like a little hipster boy down there in Austin. But anyway, he, he way back when he did this short film called Rejected, which was up for an Oscar back in what two thousand two ish. Yes, which is one of the most remarkable pieces of comedy ever made. And you know, throughout the ages, he, he's done all these other stick figure animations that are also just. Perfectly timed pieces of comedy. Did, did he also do How to Kiss, or was that a different? That was uh, Bill Plimpton. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, my brain but, got confused. But Hertzfeld uh, recently did The World of Tomorrow, and The World of Tomorrow is up for an Oscar this year as an animated short, and it is wonderfully bonkers. Yes, and it's a piece of sci-fi, but it's also his usual stick figure animations. Um, a fair amount of it's, CG in this one, too. Fair amount of CG. I mean, he's been going in that direction lately um, with the last several films I've seen oh, okay. of his. And uh, this is just a really nice little arc where um, this little girl goes bouncing up to what looks like a really elaborate t- science TV something. And she gets a phone call from the future, essentially. And it's her clone like three generations into the future calling back and talking to the kid and so it's this adult woman 
trying to explain this future world that she lives into an approximately three-year-old-ish girl. And the three-year-old girl, the voice actress is literally a three-year-old girl. Like they recorded a three-year-old kid playing and took the dialogue that this kid was randomly spouting and tailored the sci-fi story around it. <laughs> so it's, it's funny, it's human, it's bizarre, and it's on YouTube. So it's easy to go see. No, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. I think it's also on YouTube, but okay. it is definitely on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like it. You should see it. Woohoo! Yes. Also, uh, in addition to that, if you haven't seen the episode of The Simpsons where Don Hertzfeld took over the couch gag. Oh my god, no. Really? Just look up the couch gag, Don Hertzfeld Simpsons on YouTube. I'll I'll link it in the show notes too. Um, his couch gag is one of the most disturbing things. It's bizarre. Anyway, that's my recommendation. I am Simpson! I am Simpson! I am Simpson! I am Simpson! Oh, it pops up. Hold on. Oh, you're gonna watch it now? No, but I'm I'm I've got it ready to go. Okay. Because right. okay. we need to, we've been recording for two hours, so we need yeah, to wrap, we need this, to wrap this shit up because by God, these are taking me longer and longer to edit. The well, longer yeah, we go. we're we're getting really blabby. Um, you I mean you you should just cut the fuck out of this, Melissa. Just cut it down. Just cut oh, it down. I'll try. So thank you, dear listeners, for joining us in Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I have been Melissa, and I've been joined, as always, by... Windy. And we have been joined by... I'm Fess. Yay! Yay. Thank, you thank you for joining us, Fess. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sweetie. We didn't argue too much. <laughs> well, I love you, Fess. Didn't, we didn't. You got to argue with Windy for a change. But not as bad. <laughs> All right. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Your biases are showing. Oh, yes. Well, no, when you go in expecting what, like when you're blindfolded, and it's like, hey, smell this fancy cheese, and you realize it's an armpit. You know, that's the whole thing. It's the expectation. I would like to have a discussion about a brony who has problems with practicality. I'm brony light. <laughs> 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 <laughs>